The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. We are starting a three-week conversation on the essentials. And so the first thing I wanted to share is that if you like the conversation, if you'd like to maybe get more in-depth with it during the week, and maybe there's a point that sticks out that you want to sort of explore further, you can actually go online to the Mosaic site, mosaic.org, and there's an online guide for this conversation. Now, every campus is having some sort of essential conversation, and, and we're doing ours. And so there's, there's some other thoughts and, and, and streams of thought that are going on in there. But at the site, there's an online guide. And if you've appreciated some of the work, the booklets and the online guides from other series, this is another set for you to do, whether it's on your own, maybe with a friend, and it's, it's probably one of the best tools for a small group, you know, in that environment. So the essentials, you know, you strip away everything about, you know, the church. And when I say church, I don't mean like a, a location. I mean every single follower of Jesus around the world from Japan to Jamaica. Boy, how did I put those two together? Um, the three in France and... Uh, all, everybody who today, for the most part, in different time zones, they've all gathered in, in many cases to celebrate or to care for each other in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's fascinating to me that this is, you know, global. It's been going on for centuries. Um, a movement that began in the Middle East, uh, a young man who essentially from the outlook looked like he failed in his mission. He was so dangerous and so radical that the uh, world power at the time executed him. He was so contrary to the notion of what people understood about God that the religious system at the time wanted him dead and conspired with the occupying military force to execute him. Um, he was spoken of as a man who, it, it was difficult to pin something on him that was actually true and yet many people were angry with him. Here, a guy that went around doing well, actually a man that if you look at his life, there, there is every good or admirable thing we, we think about human beings finds its epitome in the life of Jesus, whether it's courage or service or, or, or you know, stability, or, you know, emotional health. I mean, whatever you want to say, you find it in the life of Jesus. In addition, while he had the, the key to understanding human relationships, his own family thought he was nuts. And, and uh, they just, they, they could not get him. They didn't process him. A person who um, has had so many loyal followers who are never firing a shot, a um, person who's led a lasting imprint in, in Western culture and in the world, never actually owned anything, and uh, a person who um, there was one criticism, you know, if this is bad, I don't want to be right. You know, he, um, he was known as a drunk and a glutton. And then he says to his followers, his little small group of, of, of uh, disciples or students, one of the last nights, the last few hours, you know, really wanted to impress upon them some important things. He said, I want you to remember me by eating and drinking. And we call that communion, which was really more, more like a potluck than and in some of the ways that it's expressed now. So if you, if you take it all down, you tear apart all the expressions of Christianity and, and, and throughout the world, you know, what are the essentials? 
And those of you who've been around Mosaic for a while, and some of you maybe who've been in and out, you, you know that we have a, a language regarding our character or the character matrix. You know, what are the, what are the three bottom line character traits that you have to have as to be a human being? I'm not, I'm not even speaking about a Christian. Just as a human being, you know, generosity, courage, um, wisdom. So this is, what are the three essentials for a church? The body, the group of us who call ourselves followers. So the first one we're going to talk about today is, is water. And so it's the water, the meal, and the wood. The water will speak about baptism. Uh, the meal will speak about communion, which we refer to and celebrate as elements. And then the wood will talk about the cross or the death of Jesus for every single moral crime ever committed in the world. And I think, you know, there's a reason and a rhythm why we built, put that in this order. The, the, the cross is the epitome of everything that we do. It is the, the thing, you know. Um, it is wrapping your head around a fact that of all the hundreds or thousands of men or women that were executed in this fashion, this particular Jewish man, this particular preacher, his death had cosmic meaning and implications. And so when someone begins to step into that and begins to, um, you know, there's different phraseology for this, you know, accept Jesus, receive him as your Lord, born again, you know. In my head, it seems more like a, a kind of a sacred romance. A divine awakening, you know? You step into a moment because of that that makes everything else make sense. Baptism, the elements, and sort of life in general, okay? So this morning, we'll talk about uh, baptism. By the way, how many of you know the heritage of Mosaic that we are Southern Baptists? I'm just curious. Really? Wow. How many of you had no idea we were Southern Baptists? And I bet you the same hands would say, you're Southern Baptist, you know? And uh, so yes, believe it or not, we are Southern Baptist. So um, let's talk about baptism as entry. So let's go to Galatians chapter three, verse 26. Baptism is entry. 326, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if we go to First Peter, First Peter 3, verse 13. This is a little bit longer passage I'm going to read to you. Peter is speaking to um, the community of, of followers of Jesus during the infamous or not so, well, infamous time of persecution from Nero when Rome was really just hammering the different communities of, of followers of Jesus. And so he's writing to these folks in that, in that context. Chapter 3, verse 13. Well, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. You benefit. So do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
It's better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago uh, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. It's not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authority, and powers, all in submission to him. And those of you who have an exclusive relationship with, with another person, uh, isn't it kind of hard to pin the date? I mean, I guess, unless you had a DTR, I guess, it's kind of hard to pin the date when it happened, you know? And I've known many couples who were friends with their spouse or their girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, fiance. They were friends before, and all of a sudden, just one day, something struck them different about the individual. Uh, they were driving, they were eating, they were, uh, you were waiting for, waiting for her to come down the stairs, you guys can go out and see the movie, you're just going to hang out. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on you, I don't want this girl to hang out with anybody else but me. You know, it's just all of a sudden they look different and feel different and seem different. And so for many of us who are, my wife and I, we've been married a, a, a few uh, years. Gosh, 31 years, that still strikes me odd. Like 31 years is a long time for anything, doesn't it seem like a long? I mean, it's been good. It just seems like, wow, 31 years. That's, I should be good at it by now, you know. Um, the, um, but uh, it, it's hard maybe to remember the date when that actually happened. When did I fall in love? Hey, when did you fall in love? What was the date that you fall up, fell in love? Hang on, I don't know. It's just going to happen. See, but baptism is different. You know, in, in terms of connecting with God, I've heard people mention, because you know, I don't know when it was that I made that connection, but I know something shifted. Something was different. Now, I'm, I'm different. I, I, I'm that guy that likes to, you know, put dates down and things like that, you know, I'd, and then never remember them, but, but I'd like to know that I once sort of had a recall, but I can tell you the date. I mean, I know, October 16, 1974. Um, and it was a, I don't you know, make this a, like the standard, but it, there was a physical reaction to that moment. I recall thinking it felt like music. I had stepped into music. I know it sounds silly, but that's the only way I could frame it. And I had no idea what was going on. Except I thought, well, something about this moment is good. And for a while, that was my, don't even know for sure if I believe everything, but that moment made sense. That was undeniable for me. Now, some people don't have that. Like they know the day. So that's what baptism becomes. Baptism becomes the entry, becomes sort of the, the date when a person says, I am stepping in and committing to this, this God, this, this relationship. It becomes the public, you know, um, I'm putting it out there. See, if you're married, especially if you're still young enough to remember, do you recall when you first introduced your, your friend as your girlfriend? Oh, this is Lilia, my special friend. I mean, how do you tell you, my ruka, you know, how do you, how do you, this is Lilia, she's, I 
can't shake her. She's always around. I mean, then she starts to say, this is my girlfriend. And then, and so if you say it, you know, and she's there, <laughs> like, she doesn't react. You go, oh, okay, she agrees, you know, which is always good. You know, that's, that one doesn't agree with you publicly when you call them their girlfriend or boyfriend. Then you move into that level where you ask them, hey, you know, I, I want to make this not only exclusive, but, but permanent. You know, would you marry me? And they say yes. You go, great. Oh, my gosh. You know, I dodged that bullet. I thought you were going to say no. This is awkward. And, and then you get to announce, uh, introduce them as your finance or fiance. <laughs> and that feels heavier too but then there comes a day after the big wedding and the celebration you know this is Lilia my oh wow you're my wife now you know oh that's right I'm married you know there's that moment when you're announcing it and you're, you, you, you had a, a wedding date you had a party people came they're witnesses no backing out um, so it's almost as if baptism becomes that celebration point where you say, you know, I don't know when I fell in love. But today I'm declaring it. So it's that entry into the life and, or the Jesus community, that, that sort of thing, right? In fact, I think of it as almost, it's almost like you're updating your Facebook status, right? Your Twitter, hey. In fact, I think it's like the ultimate foursquare, right? You know, it's like... Um, I'm here, and then you see all your other friends that are there too, that you don't know, but are there, you know, and uh, you never communicate with, really. That's kind of like what baptism is. You get to see for a moment your community of people who go. This is why I think it's, in, um, it's important at some level, not in the sense of duty, which I get duty, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not the duty guy, I'm the guy that likes to do stuff because it's fun. Uh, so. Um, but there is a celebratory aspect to someone's baptism. Like when you, when you go to a wedding, like, oh, weddings, weddings. I'm just curious, how many of you guys really like going to weddings? You, you enjoy, okay, see, mostly every single one of the women, oh, a couple of guys, awesome, all three of us. <clears throat> I see, I get emotional at weddings, you know, that kind of thing, so I, it's like, I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna cry, you know, so I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I have, to, so I have to wear long sleeves. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> Ends up being like a pinstripe suit. And um, oh. don't hate the messenger. And so, yeah, it is that moment where you step in and declare that there's like this happy celebration. And here's the other thing I, I, I sense and, and think about. When you get baptized, what you've done is that you've, you've joined, became part of a global forever family. I think about all the, these people that the first recipients, the people that had to you know, unscroll Peter's letter and had it read to them or they read it, you've joined this family. The folks in Europe, the folks in Asia, the folks in Russia, the, our family in China, not just now, but centuries past, and depending on how things go with global warming, centuries going forward, you're joining that group. I am part of this family, and they are also part of me. And not only that, but Christ has pledged himself to me at this moment of publicly declaring, I will become a follower of Jesus Christ. But baptism is also primarily, I think, about Jesus. Uh, if you just go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through three. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through three, this is what Paul wrote, that therefore, since we are surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured this cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. I, um, there's a, an old you know, verse in the scripture. Well, I shouldn't say old. I guess it's old as a scripture. But it begins to be like a common saying in our culture that without a vision, the people perish. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? You've heard something of like that? I think you might have heard it in maybe other ways where, because it's just a, a true thing that operates for everybody. That unless you have a, something you're moving towards, there's almost little energy to do anything at all. Do you ever, have you had that point or time in your life where you feel sort of scattered without a goal, without a purpose or a thing you're moving towards? And so it seems like you have no energy because nothing you're moving towards is what the goal or the mark that you think you should be heading. And once you set a goal like, I, I want to finish school, I want to, get, I want to get promoted, I want to lose weight, I want to do this or that, whatever, whatever it might be, all of a sudden you begin to have this energy to move towards it. So Paul says something interesting here about this. I mean, and, and when I say that baptism is really ultimately about Jesus, he's saying there, there has to be a place where Jesus becomes the vision that's sufficient to pull us through the pain of transformation. It, 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 that Jesus becomes clear enough as a goal that it can propel you to him, towards him, so that it's healing. Um, I've often joked how much I dislike going to any kind of medical sort of environment or thing, you know. And the reason why I've joked about it is because, you know, it's true. And so I don't care for, you know, any kind of procedure that might cause discomfort. Um, and, and you always know when, <laughs> when it's coming. Like, and, you know, if the doctor says you might feel some pressure, you go, oh, that's going to hurt. This is going to sting. Wow. I'm gonna, it's mind-numbing pain I'm about to experience. This might be uncomfortable. You know, anesthetic, put me out. I don't even want to experience what you're going to tell me, right? And they said, I'm, I'm going to give you a shot. And then they bring this spear, right? <laughs> you can see the, the needle. You know, there's a hole where you know, they're going to inject that into your body. Or, uh, <laughs> of course, my favorite is, I just hate dentists. I don't want to put it any other way. It just feels like you're just being tortured. And, they, and, they, and then they bring this, I'm sure it's a needle, but by the time it comes, you know, this, it's a, this needle coming at you, you know, and, uh, and you're strapped down. Actually not, but it feels like you are. And, you know, honestly, I, I would confess every state secret. It would just take me, we're going to do a shot, you know. Here's the thing that's funny. I think most of us have some area of our life that we're pretending not to know that we're sick. That, you know, it's damaged, it's, we're not well. But the idea of health and being over it is unclear. So that image or that vision isn't strong enough to pull us through the pain of getting whole. So 
as Paul was saying, if, if, we're, if we're starting this race, this walk, this, you know, he uses different metaphors to describe the Jesus life. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, and that's clear who he is, I don't mean like he's good, because that's just so vague. I mean that there's a beauty there. There's uh, a love there. Especially when you begin to wrap your mind around how much he cares for you. That vision, that understanding is enough to pull you through the uncomfortable part of becoming well. I know that, quote, getting well requires almost re-experiencing the pain that you have. But if you don't get well that way, I don't know if it's less painful to stay sick. Uh, I once went to the doctor because I had broken a toe and a stupid table got in my way. It received my anger. And uh, so, you know, it's just kind of smart. I went through a couple of days thinking, okay, maybe something's wrong. It's now turning black and, you know, it's... uh, and so I went to, um, you know, the, the torturer, the guy in the white coat, and um, he said, oh, it's dislocated. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. You know, so you're the doctor. What are you going to do about it? And uh, uh, he said, well, we're, we're going to pull it and reset it. <laughs> the heck you are. <laughs> not while I'm alive. Not when I'm not strapped down, you're not. And he said, well, you know, I'll tell you what we can do. I said, bro, honestly, I, you know, I'll take a bullet for my wife, but I'm not going to go through this pain. Right? That's not going to happen. Because what, what we can do is this. I can, I can give you a shot so you don't feel it. And I go, awesome. You know, I, I, in fact, you don't need to give me something to put me out. I happen to carry my own recreational drugs. You know? <laughs> so uh, he left the room. And, I, and I, it was, you know, what, what had previously been a cold environment... All of a sudden, I was just sweating. It was hot. You know, like, oh, this gown's too tight. It's sticky to me now. He came back in. He says, you know what, bro? I go, oh, man. When someone says, you know what? It, the, the, the pain of the shot is going to be close to the, no, it's not. <laughs> Liar. It's going to be close to this. Why don't I just, you know, I'll give you a moment. Collect, collect yourself. Stop crying, sir. And then we will, <laughs> we will do this. And I thought, ah, okay, he goes, well, can I see it? And I was like, I was like that. I could not get out of that junior high school mode. No, younger. It was like a child. Can I see your boo-boo? No. You know, I actually pulled back. I I promise, so I know the second lie. I promise not to do it. I just need to see. And I believed him. See, all doctors are liars. I said, so I, I believed him. I, I, Gave him my foot. And he's looking at it, you know, all of a sudden. <laughs> and it was so momentarily mind-numbing, you know. I, I, there was no color. I heard no sounds. Histamine, tears. Are you okay? God, you, yes. <laughs> hey. Wow, I, you know, all of a sudden, it felt good. I mean, I still hit him. Okay, and then I thought, okay, there's a reason for the stupid story. I have never experienced spiritual health or emotional health in any other fashion. There is a momentary pain. It is uncomfortable. 
So let me tell you up front, in case someone told you differently, will this be a pain-free experience walking with Christ towards that goal of becoming or measured against the standard of Jesus Christ? No. Um, I thought this is supposed to be a good thing. Oh, it is. It's incredible. You know, our healing and transformation is amazing what God can do with folks like us at times. But if you think it's not going to hurt sometimes, then someone lied to you. And yet it's necessary to have that clear view of who Christ is to push you through uh, sometimes the uncomfortableness of being transformed. It is a moment where it seems to hurt. Paul talks about this. We have this momentary discomfort, but compared to who we become, it's nothing. I mean, I think about, okay, let's say I had not chosen to get my foot fixed. I guess there comes a point where it doesn't hurt anymore and begins to heal crooked. But why would you want to live that way? I mean, as I said back a moment ago, how many of us really were pretending not to know something's wrong? And we're hoping somehow that God just fixes it or that we get better without any kind of awkwardness or discomfort in our own life. It just doesn't happen that way. I don't know where it happens that way. I think we know that in the physical realm. A cavity, a broken arm, a strained ankle. Um, what, I mean, in every level we know this. We come to the spiritual realm, it's just supposed to happen with no effort on our part, or no discomfort on our part. But that's the power of a community. And here's what it is. Not that it maybe minimizes it, but you have people who have actually already gone there and says, yeah, you know what, this is gonna, you're gonna feel a little pressure. <laughs> it's gonna be so much better when you're done. In fact, since we're all family here, I've always referred to this moment like spiritual vomiting. If you ever had that thing, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. And you swallow, and you go, oh man, I can't hold it back anymore. And then you go and evacuate material. And it was horrible, and you feel like someone just beat you up, and your stomach's all sore. Rinse in the sink. I'm ready to eat again. <laughs> right? No? Okay. Some of you are like it. Yeah, I remember. Hold my hair. Hold my hair. <laughs> okay. More than one of you remember that. The, um, the vision and keeping our eyes on Jesus, this life in Christ, isn't about rules either. If I can drive anything home for you this morning about this life in Christ, it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. And the difference is that if someone gives you a set of rules, okay, do these things, and you're a better person, they lie to you in some way. Now, granted, the scripture is pretty clear about certain behavior that can be harmful to you or can be unhealthy and doesn't feed the best part of you. But if it's a set of rules that, that you're going to live by instead of a relationship with Christ, you can only do that for so long. It's just exhausting. How many of you try to, by your sheer will or willpower to do anything? You're just exhausted I mean, after a while. And then, it, and, and then, of course, when you finally do break, and you will, your immediate assumption is that, I guess this doesn't work for me. God's not interested in me. No, no, no. He's absolutely interested in you. It's just that you were trying to do this on your own reserve of power and ability and strength or character. And we, we only have so much. 
But if we were able to tap into a source that's unlimited to a God who cares and says, I'll change you, I'll make you a fisher of men, I will transform you, it's completely different, the process. So it's not about, it, it is not about living by rules, it's living by a relationship. And it's about the love between us and God. And let me take another step further. It's, it's about the love between you and God. So this is why you've heard me say in the past that love moderates behavior. When you love someone and they love you, there's a certain energy that's exchanged between the two of you. You know, um, I've seen guys do the craziest things for the woman that they love. It's not crazy and wrong. I just mean that, you, you know, they have an energy and a desire that they just don't have for maybe, you know, someone else. Baptism is about giving yourself. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31 for a moment. Jeremiah 31, verse 2 through 4. One of the uh, major prophets, it just means he had a longer book here. Verse 2 says this. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. And the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness and I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt. O virgin Israel, again you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Let's go back back to Galatians for just a moment. Galatians chapter two, verse 19. I mentioned a moment ago about rules. So if in your head when you read this, when you see the word law, think in terms of rules or a system, a religious system, okay? And some of you had different religious backgrounds. Mine was Roman Catholic. Um, so you, you, know, you have novenas and Ash Wednesday and confession and rosaries and you know, all that. And I'm not down on that. I, I had a very positive experience in that environment. But there was rules to be a good Catholic or to be in good standing with God, right? You follow these rules, God loves you. Don't follow the rules, he doesn't love you. What we see from Jeremiah is that it wasn't like that. God said, I love you, period, everlasting. And in chapter 2 of Galatians, in fact, you know what, I think I'm going to do you a disservice if I don't say this also. If there's a book about freedom, what I just mentioned, it's got to be Galatians. If there's, if there's, a, if there's a, a, a uncertainty about how much liberty you have as a follower of Jesus, read Galatians. In fact, by reading Galatians, you'll even get like a summary, a prequel to the book of Romans, which is a fantastic, um, you know, uh, essay writing about our life in, in God. But Paul pushes this. I mean, he presses hard to these churches in Galatia, which is a, like a region, like you're saying, it's like Southern California, it's like to Galatia, because they were going back to, to certain rules that they were brought up with thinking that by these rules, I'll be in good standing with God and God will love me. In fact, he even calls him stupid for thinking that. So I'm right in line with the apostle here in this respect. Chapter two, verse 19, for through the law or the rules, I died to them so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me gave himself for me. So the, I want to under, help you understand the chronology here. 
If somebody outside of community, they're not good, they're not healthy, they're not even aware. They may not even be bad, they're good people, they're just not even aware of this incredible God who loves them. And God says, I loved you, period. Before, before you chose me, I already chose you. Before you were aware of me, I chose you. I do not set aside the grace or kindness of God, for if righteousness could be gained through following the rules, then Christ died for nothing. That's kind of a hard thing to really wrap our heads around. How many of you ever had the notion that when someone says, I love you, they almost think, hmm, yeah, but you really don't know me. No, anyone? Anyone admit it? Okay, I did. In fact, I remember thinking as a child when my parents would say, you know, do you understand how much we love you? I thought, yeah, but you have to. You're my parent. And so I think some of us still have a notion in some cases where there's a bit of hiding that goes on, a bit of, of, of masking, a bit of roles that we play, because then if people really know who you are, they won't like you. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. We're like, yes, that's me. So um, it, it's, it's sort of that thing that happens with us, I think, as, as followers of Jesus, that we'd rather, this is the weird part, we'd rather follow rules than be in relationship with God. Because if I'm in relationship with God, I have to be a little bit more spiritually or emotionally naked before him in some ways, and honest or transparent. I have to um, consciously be aware of my weakness, uh, my darkness, or I'm broken. In fact, let's just be honest, that we don't even want to do the right thing sometimes, that we prefer darkness, we've grown accustomed to what seems to be unhealthy, we have more of a taste for what seems to be wrong than what seems to be right. So how do I tell this God who loves me and has done so much? I go, you know, I, hey, thanks, but no thank you. I don't want this right now. Especially after someone has done so much for you. And, and now to maybe feel this a little bit more. It's almost when you get the understanding when a, a parent or a coach, a friend or family member has done so much for you and you're aware of it and you let them down, you know how you feel crummy sort of breaks the relationship? That, that's how I think some of us operate as followers of Jesus. That we have enough understanding of who he is and what he's done for us that when, when we don't want to, you know, join the Jesus team, we feel embarrassed and like, okay, well, I have, to, I have to go now because I've let you down. The funny thing is, is that it's never changed God or Jesus' heart towards us. Like, he doesn't take down your, your, your art from the refrigerator. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this kid disobeyed me again. I'm taking your art down. He doesn't cross his name off our list. He doesn't defriend us off Facebook. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I said a moment ago, if I can get you to remember one thing. Here's the other thing I want you to remember. You cannot get God to love you anymore, no matter how stellar you might be, but you can't get him to love you any less. That, that was a healing thing to wrap my head around. You know what? It took every pressure off of me. Not to go crazy. It's like I just felt like I could relax finally. Like there wasn't this pressure to perform. And it was a performance. Because it was the rules. Like what do I do to make him not be mad at me? So I could go with any kind of weirdness. 
And the, here's the, the other funny part. The things I was struggling to hide and pretend like weren't there began to lose its power and its grip on my life in experiencing his love honestly. So here's my last metaphor as we begin to close. It's almost like the wedding. See, you know, I've, I've seen couples, they, they, they start off as friends, they date, they go through that rocky, and then they, they go through the ordeal. I, think, I, I always think if a couple can survive planning their wedding, they have a good shot of making it. You know, they have a, because that's gonna be traumatic for many people. So while you may be unsure when you fell in love and when you connected to God, or with your spouse, the, the wedding dates, the declaration is that I am marrying this person, I'm committing to this person. They're committing to me. Till death do us part. And so it's almost the exchange of vows and promises where God says, I've chosen you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You get wet and you say, I do. I, I, I'm so grateful for this and I love you too. And is it, does it change? Of course it changes. Does it grow, does it, does it, does it, is it different? Of course, I mean, what my wife, who my wife and I were in our 20s is not who we were in our 30s, is not who we were in our 40s, it's not who we are in our 50s now. It changes, becomes different. Is it a different kind of love? Yeah, I'd even say it's different in that respect too. So baptism is saying, I do. Baptism is our response to saying, I'm, I am all in. I'm no longer, no longer going to hang out with you. I'm no longer just going to call you my friend. I'm not just going to date you without committing. I'm going to be all in and say that you're my savior. And I'm going to choose to live as if you are my savior. So all the things I'm embarrassed about and the places where I feel weak, the things where I'm not certain of, I'm gonna live like you're the redeemer of those moments and places in my life and live like you're my savior. And here's a God who says, I incredibly love you, I'm so for you, I have nothing but good planned for you. I mean, it's kind of a hard offer to turn down, isn't it? So, in closing, Baptism is the entry level. It's the portal into the Jesus community in life. It's a public, I can put a date on it moment when it happened. But it's the beginning. Next week we'll talk about the meal and what it means to live in that community. All the other nutcases that are in this room and everybody else around the world. Can I pray with you for just a moment as we close? Father, uh, I, I don't know if we can ever express this side of our lives, uh, what it means to be connected to you and what changes have taken place. But I pray that even if we don't have the language, that we have a life that says thank you. I pray for myself and for my friends that you continue to give us the courage to step into those moments of healing that may not be comfortable. I pray for the clarity to see those places uh, and to be brave enough to confess in our heads and our minds to a friend to you uh, I'm just not well and I need you to be my savior in this place of my life to be the person that redeems what was lost that restores what was just so goofed up and damaged because of things that people did to me 
or the things I did to others. I pray that you help me to forgive others in moments of pain so that I can experience your forgiveness as well. And it's with our lives that we'll say thank you in following your commands, your teachings, imitating your life, living by the power of your Holy Spirit to be transformed. In your son's name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.